Because Heavenly Father, we bow before you this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your children to worship you. And as we come to this Easter time, we thank you again for the gift of salvation you have granted to us. I just pray you would help each one of us to accept that, to become your children. I just pray a special blessing on Lester now as he proclaims your word. Thank you for the message you've laid on his heart. And may he proclaim what you have laid on his heart. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings to each of you and welcome. For a sermon this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to the words of Paul to the Romans, where he said, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. My mind uh, lately, over the last little while, I, I've been thinking a lot about one word. The word is called empathy. I was, I think, as I recall, primarily drawn to this by a book that I was reading by a psychologist, Marshall Rosenberg. He is writing from what appears to me, anyhow, from a secular point of view, um, though he, he did use some scriptures. He seemed to be a man who endorses um, pretty much any kind of belief and, and, and works hard at trying to get people to work together. So not necessarily from a Christian perspective, but he, Rosenberg, works worldwide as a peacemaker, as a mediator, as a teacher, and he talked a lot about this word, empathy. So it made me think a little bit about well, what does it really mean, what is it, um, is it different than sympathy? That's a word maybe we're more familiar with, and I believe sometimes get the two confused, but as I want to explain, they, their meaning is not the same. So I began to think, well, where is this taught in Scripture? Is this taught in Scripture? Is this a scriptural um, teaching that, that we show empathy to each other? I can't find the word in the Bible. I, I did a word search on five or six different translations. Some of them were modern English translations, and I still didn't find the word. However, as I looked into that, I realized it, it indeed it is taught in Scripture. It is um, given to us as, as something that we should be practicing. If you are very much into um, following or, or reading um, leadership type of, of material and interested in, in leading people, you have probably come across this word. It's actually a fairly popular teaching in, in the corporate world today. Let me just um, give to you several meanings of the word empathy that I have here to help you understand uh, what it is. Wikipedia says, empathy is the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another's position. In other places, it says, empathy is the ability or practice of imagining or trying to deeply understand what someone else is feeling or what it's like to be in their situation. 
That brings to mind the phrase to be in someone else's shoes. That is a common phrase I think that we use today. That really, uh, I think, describes what empathy is pretty well. To put yourself in someone else's shoes. So my title today is simply Empathy. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's often described as the ability to feel what others are feeling, as if you are feeling it yourself. Now, how is this different than sympathy? Or another word that um, is, is close to the same meaning is compassion. Sympathy is to understand what the person is feeling, or to understand that they have this feeling. So you think of a situation where somebody is, is sick and laid up in the hospital. So they can't go to their job, they can't um, go about their lives like they, they had enjoyed doing. Um, they're, in a sense, very helpless. And we sympathize with them. We, we realize that they are feeling helpless. They are feeling ill physically. Um, they are not capable of doing what they were doing. We sympathize with them. We simply recognize that this is what they're feeling. Compassion is then the willingness to relieve the suffering of that person, to identify what they are feeling or needing, and to respond in a helpful way. Compassion is the doing part of it. So we we sympathize with somebody, we recognize what they're feeling and what they're going through, and we do something to help them. Empathy is to feel what that person is feeling, to feel the same emotions as they do. Just like it describes here in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How do we do that? How do we put ourselves, you know, is it really possible to feel what another person is feeling? Well, there's there's a number of things here that that I want to talk about as we really dig into what empathy is, and particularly as we look in the scriptures and the examples that we see of this and the teaching on this, um, I think will help us to understand uh, that, or to answer that question, can I actually feel what someone else is feeling, or how do I do that, in a deeper level than, than sympathizing with them? Another description I have here are, are some, some questions that I think that really help me to understand how to empathize with people. We have to answer these questions when we seek to empathize with another person. Who are they, and how did they become that person? What do they know, and how did they learn it? What do they hold dear, and why do they hold that dear? How do they feel, and why do they feel this way? So as you think about answering those questions about a person, I immediately realize that empathy is something that is in a way deeper level than, than sympathizing or having compassion. I believe it is the basis from from where we sympathize and show compassion to people. As I thought about this word, and I realized, like I said, it's fairly popular in today's world, in in the corporate world especially. It used to be that the mindset in the corporate world was that to succeed, you needed to be a ruthless, a hard-nosed, a go-getter, and that your employees were basically there for one purpose, to get your work done for you. But now companies are realizing that showing empathy is actually more effective. Several examples. After claims of a higher than average injury rate, 
At Tesla's Fremont factory, CEO Elon Musk urged workers to report all injuries, adding that he would personally visit the factory floor and perform the same tasks as injured Tesla staff. And during his 10 years as, as CEO of Campbell Soup Company, Douglas Conant wrote 30,000 handwritten thank you notes to his employees, an exercise that required that he pay attention to each and every person in the company. Now, if you do the math, 30,000 handwritten notes in 10 years' time is actually quite a few notes on every given workday. In order for him to do that, he had to know who his employees were. He had to interact with them on a level that um, probably a lot of CEOs don't. There is, in fact, in the corporate world today, an empathy index. It measures the most empathetic companies. And I realized in a little research that several years ago, Facebook was number one on this spot. And one of the things that they did or do to practice empathy is in a place they call their empathy lab. Here, Facebook engineers have the chance to experience for themselves how customers will use their product, even those customers who are visually impaired or, or hard of hearing. So you think of Facebook and uh, primarily a social media platform and, and their engineers actually putting themselves into the shoes of those people that are using their product in a way to empathize with them. So the question is why, if, if the corporate world has realized the value of this and, and psychologists have realized the value of this, where's the church at? Are we realizing how important this is in the church today? Is this something that we're willing to, uh, to do, to learn about, to learn how to do, to empathize with others? And of course, the question then was, where is it taught in Scripture? So I'd like to look at that. Um, as I already indicated, Romans chapter 12, uh, if, if you want to, you can turn there because I'm going to spend a little bit of time there. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16. So I already read to you verse 15. And then 16 also adds this phrase that I think is also a part of, of empathizing here. Rejoicing it with those rejoice and weep with those who weep. But then he says, be of the same mind towards one another. There's a couple words I, in, in these verses that I want to recognize. And one is the word with. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This indicates a closeness. Now, there's various levels of closeness in our different relationships, and, and, and I believe that we can practice empathy in just about every relationship that we have, you know, whether it's an employee, employee an employer, um, it can be our neighbors, our, our church, our brothers and sisters in the church, and of course, in our marriages, we also need to practice empathy. But how do so there's different levels of closeness, but, but the one necessary thing is that we we are with, that we have some level of closeness to the person that we seek to empathize with. 
Just like the examples of these CEOs who took the time to, to actually go to the factory floor and put themselves where their employees are. We need to be with in order to empathize. We also see the, the, the spectrum of the different feelings and emotions here from, from rejoicing to weeping. We need to seek to identify with the feelings and emotions all across the spectrum. A good example of this is in John chapter 11 where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus has, has died. So that they notified him that Lazarus was sick, hoping that he would come and give healing. And Jesus, in that situation, delayed in coming to them. But then when he did, we see the, the emotion that he displayed there and how he identified with Mary and Martha and their friends after Lazarus passed away. It's probably a familiar story to you, so I'm not going to take the time to actually turn there, but it says there that Jesus wept, that he, he literally cried when he came to Mary and Martha, realizing um, the sorrow that felt. It also says that he, he groaned in his spirit, and it gives the indication that, that he was very emotional and very, very burdened by this fact that, that his friend Lazarus had passed away. Just before this, in talking to his disciples and in telling them that he's not going to go to, to the town of, of Lazarus, that Lazarus has, has passed away, and, but Jesus makes it clear that he knew that Lazarus was going to rise again. And of course we know Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. So even though he was divine, and even though he knew that there was power there to raise Lazarus from the dead again, he still empathized with them. It still brought him to tears because of the sorrow that they felt in losing their brother and friend, as well as what he felt, because Lazarus was a friend to him. So we see Jesus identifying with the feelings and emotions. The people said, see how he loved him when they saw that Jesus wept. See how he loved him. They realized, they, they sensed that coming out of Jesus. They sensed that empathy. Jesus also identified with them here when he, so when he prayed before Lazarus came forth out of the grave, Jesus is there praying to his father, and it's recorded that he says, because of the people standing here, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. So we may wonder, why, did, why didn't Jesus come earlier? And why did he allow Lazarus to, to pass away? Why did he withhold what it may seem like withholding empathy and, and compassion for these people? But he says here that it was so that they would believe that I was sent from my Father. So again, he had their good in mind. He, he knew what they needed. And he was empathizing with their need for a Savior. It also tells us here then that we are to be of the same mind towards one another. Going back to Romans chapter 12. What does this mean to be of the same mind? We know our minds are all different. We, we think differently uh, because of our life's experiences. Because of um, just the way we process things. Our different personalities. How are we to be of the same mind? And this, this is a command that that is actually given to, to us as God's people 
um, numerously in the scriptures that we're to, to be of the same mind, and he uses that term you know, in, in a variety of ways, but to be unified in, in how we think. I don't think it means that we are all to think alike. I haven't found that possible. I don't think, I, I believe that God created us in a variety of ways that we don't all think alike, but rather it's the idea of seeking to understand how we think and how each other thinks. Seeking to understand that. Just one example in, in a marriage relationship. We know that uh, most of you probably would agree with me on this anyhow, that husbands and wives think differently. And that is sometimes a source of conflict in a marriage. It's sometimes a hurdle to overcome that, to, to try and understand how your spouse thinks and why they, they react the way they do. Again, God is not asking us to think alike because he created our brains to be different. I was studying this some recently with the marriage seminar that, that we had. And according to what experts say, people who understand this much better than me, in about six to eight weeks of gestation already, a, a baby's brain is forming differently if that child is a female than if that child is a male. So the chromosomes determine whether it's male or female, and that genetic makeup then, then tells the body how to, um, determines what for, for hormones affect that baby as it's developing at a very early stage. And interesting enough, they have found that, yes, male brains are different than female brains at a very early stage. And the words from one book that I was reading on this subject said that in the male brain, the hormone testosterone actually hinders, or it used the word retards, the connections between the two hemispheres of the brain as that fetus is developing. So you're laughing because we're retarded, right? As <laughs> now, before you're, you wives are too hard on us, realize that God made our brains that way for a reason. And the, the, the article I was reading went on to say how that, that, that lack of connection between the two sides of the brain actually enables us to focus on tasks more, more deeply and, and to, to, um, yeah, to, to really focus on something without all the distractions sometimes that maybe the opposite sex has. So God made us that way for a reason. We, we don't all think alike, and that's part of God's creation. But in what he's calling us to do here, to be of the same mind, I believe is simply to try and understand each other and how we think, and how we act. <clears throat> Another passage that I would like to turn to is in Philippians chapter 2. Here I find, too, that empathy is really what, what it is encouraging us to, to be, to be empathetic, without ever using that word. <clears throat> I'm going to read Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. And therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind that each esteem others better than himself. Look each of you, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Paul implores the Christians here to empathize on the basis that Christ empathized with them. If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if, if Christ has brought comfort to you, if he has identified with you and empathized with you, you also be like-minded, having the same love. So on the basis of Christ being empathetic, Paul asks us to also be the same. There's something that comes out in this passage that, that I believe is very important to empathize with people, and is that of humility. In lowliness of mind, each esteeming others is better than himself. Looking out for each other, can we really empathize from any other position other than lowering ourselves and esteeming others as better than ourselves? I don't think it will be possible to empathize from any other place. Humility in our relationships with each other. Looking out for the good of others. It's only when we come to this place that we can really empathize. And that is what Christ did for us. He humbled himself, came down to this world as a human being. In order to identify with us. Put himself in our shoes. He came in the likeness of man, verse 7 says. He came to feel and experience what we feel and experience. One more passage I'd like to turn to is 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind. There's that phrase again, one mind, thinking alike. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted, be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Earlier in this passage, he's talking to wives and husbands. And in particular, I'd like to notice verse 7 there, where it says he instructs the husbands to dwell with their wives with understanding. We see that word with again. The husband is to empathize with his wife, and to dwell with them and seek to understand them. So he's giving us instruction to empathize in the context of marriage, but then I also see it in non-resistance. The, the, the doctrine of non-resistance is taught here when he says not returning evil for evil. So he gives us here, he pronounces a blessing to those who practice this, of not returning evil with evil. There's a blessing that's promised, but there's also a connection made here to being empathetic. We're tenderhearted. Because we're tenderhearted, compassionate, because we love each other, because we seek to be of the same mind, we also do not 
return evil with evil. Are we to empathize with our enemies? Can we empathize with our enemies? Again, I think we can find an example of this in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus here is on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This is an example of Jesus empathizing with his enemies, with those who were about to kill him. He asks his heavenly father to forgive them because what they're doing, they don't realize the full extent of what they're doing. They don't realize the implications of this. They don't realize that this man they're crucifying is giving his life so that they can have eternal life. Yes, I think we can empathize with our enemies. What does empathy look like in our church or in any of our relationships, in our marriages, at your place of work, in your neighborhood? What does empathy look like? I'd like to give a few maybe more practical suggestions of some things we can do to empathize with those around us, to feel what they're feeling. To understand why they think the way they do. Number one is is to listen. A very important uh, practice is to listen. Recently in our small groups, we took quite a bit of time to each go and share our life story in a short period, a relatively short period of time. But just simply um, telling some of the things that have shaped who we are, how we grew up, uh, things that that were people and things that were influential in our lives, difficult things we went through. Um, Just what shaped us. And I found that quite interesting. I'd encourage the rest of you to think about doing that as well. I don't remember nearly every detail that that everyone shared over that about six months time or maybe it was longer than that even. But I did learn some things about other people. I learned why they are the way they are. What shaped their lives, what's important to them. So we need to listen to each other's stories. We need to be with people on that level where we can hear them. We need to listen with a desire to understand. And often our tendency, I find anyhow, is, is to listen um, in, in preparation to respond or to advise. But rather than that, we need to learn to listen with a desire to understand, to empathize. We also need to listen by creating an environment where it's safe for other people to talk. We can't listen to their story, to their experiences, to whatever they want to share. If they don't feel it's safe to talk or if we don't give them time to talk. So in a church, in a marriage, wherever it may be, 
We listen by creating an environment where it's safe to talk. <clears throat> and listen by being with them. Again, just want to emphasize that. To be together, to be with them. To whatever extent that may be, it of course varies in different relationships. Time spent together. In a church, this means we have to be connected. We have to attend. We have to... Um, I think it's important that we do things together beyond just sitting here in church. Be with each other. In this way, we learn to empathize. Second thing I have that empathy will look like is that we will then give compassion and forgiveness. Out of empathy comes that ability to, to give compassion, a desire to actually do something to help somebody in need. And the ability to offer forgiveness when, when we're hurt by another, when, when something happens that's, that's painful, when in our relationships we, we hurt each other. The ability to forgive comes when we're able to empathize. comes much easier when we're able to empathize. I realize that forgiveness sometimes is just simply a choice we make. It's not that we feel like forgiving. We do it because that's what Christ did for us. Empathy also, maybe on a, a, the negative side, empathy is not enabling wrong behavior. So just because we, we empathize, because we listen to somebody's story, because we understand um, what experiences they've went through in life that, that make them react like this, doesn't mean that we enable wrong behavior. Again, we see this in, in Jesus' life, in, in our Sunday school lesson, really. And what we've been looking at here lately is his um, critical response to the, the Pharisees and his, his giving them some rather stern words and correcting them. He did not enable their wrong behavior, but I do believe that he empathized with them. We saw a little bit of that in today's passage where he says there, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, and you know, I would have... Like, like, a, like a, a chicken, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I, I wanted to take you in. I wanted you. I wanted you to see who the Messiah is, but you have chosen not to. So he did empathize with them, but he did not enable wrong behavior. I think when we truly empathize with people and where they're at, we can give them loving correction when they're wrong, rather than, than just being judgmental, being critical, we can give loving correction when we're empathetic. In Hebrews and in Proverbs, it says that the Lord, that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Again, he, he's the perfect example of showing empathy, and yet he at times chastens us, he corrects us. He does that for our good. He does it in a loving way. He does not enable wrong behavior. Another example of this is in Revelations uh, chapter 2 and 3, I think it is, and those letters that he writes to the churches. We see his empathy there for them. Um, I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but as he writes those letters to the churches, he, he, it's obvious that he knows them. He knows what their needs are. He knows what they're going through. He knows their struggles. He knows their weaknesses. And he points that out to them. But he encourages them to correct the mistakes they made, to, to 
change their pattern of behavior and, and to continue to, to come to him. So we see God's empathy for the church in that passage of scripture and those letters that were written to the churches in Revelations. <clears throat> One more question for you to think about. Do you feel empathy from your heavenly father? It's said that our relationship with our earthly father often shapes how we can relate to our heavenly father. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, now we're not victims. If you have had a bad experience with your earthly father, if there has not been a good relationship, we're not victims to that. It doesn't mean we can never really experience God's love either. But there's some truth to, the, to that, that, that our earthly relationship with our earthly father um, does affect, affect how we view God. So the question is, do you feel empathy from your heavenly father? Even when we feel that God doesn't care, my encouragement to you is to still talk to him. He will listen if you talk. Yes, sometimes it seems like God is distant. It seems like he's not hearing your prayers. And if your relationship with your heavenly father is, is hindered by that, or you feel like you're not close to your heavenly father, continue to talk to him. When you talk to him, he can show you his love. He wants to know how you feel. And experiencing empathy enables me to give empathy. So that relationship with our Heavenly Father is very important. If we talk to him, we can feel his empathy and his love. And we can then give that to others as well. And I think that's really the, the basis for, for how we can empathize with others is we need to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father where we experience that, even if we haven't in our earthly relationship, but we can experience that with our Heavenly Father. We're then able to also empathize with others. Some time ago here in our men's meeting, and I realize some of you aren't present at those meetings, but so I'll explain a little bit. John used the illustration of a wheel in comparing it to the church looking at the fact that, that there's a certain um, principles, a certain part of what church is that will never change or can't, should never change. A church, there, there's things that should never change about who a church is. Just like a wheel was invented thousands of years ago, the, the basic concept is still very useful today, though it has changed, it has improved, it has um, taken on different forms for different purposes, and, th and that's a little bit like the church is. My, my reason for going back to that is, I, my suggestion is that we look at empathy kind of like the grease in the bearing of that wheel. It enables us to love and care for each other, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to feel what other people are feeling, to be of the same mind, have compassion for each other. 
And this is what will keep that wheel of the, of the church moving, moving forward. If there's empathy. When a, when a wheel doesn't have grease in the bearing, it, it gets tight, it seizes up, and it, it just can barely move anymore, and after a while it will stop. We don't want the church to come to that place. We need empathy. That we can continue to, in the midst of our struggles sometimes, sometimes hurts, that, that we can forgive. And, and as we rejoice together, that we can, we can do that together. We can encourage each other in that way. This is what keeps that wheel turning. We have to be connected, or sometimes we use the term plugged in to our church. It's much easier to empathize when we can answer those questions that I gave to you earlier. And I'll just read over those again to empathize. It really, really gives me a picture of what it means to empathize. We answer these questions about other people. Who are they and why did they become that person or how did they become that person? What do they know and how did they learn it? What do they hold dear and why do they hold it dear? How do they feel and why do they feel this way? Those aren't easy questions to answer. Those aren't questions you are going to be able to answer about everybody. But in the process of, of seeking to understand people, to empathize with them, as you seek to answer those questions, you also will come to empathize with them. So let's look at God's word. And again, my challenge is, look, the, the world is learning that this is of value to empathize with people. Let's learn that too in the church. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for what your word has revealed to us again this morning. And that we have access to your word, the ability to read it, to understand it. We're thankful for the examples that you give us there. Most of all, for your example, coming down to this world as a human being, experiencing what we experience in this world, walking the road with us, being tempted, being persecuted, suffering, rejected, all these things you can empathize with us. We thank you for that. I just pray that we would be able to build on that connection we have with you, and feel your empathy and love, and also give that to others to seek to be with them and to understand them in whatever relationships that may be in our lives, in the church, in our families, our marriages, in our community around us. We could empathize with people, give loving correction, give encouragement, and rejoice together. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.